morning, everyone. Much better, much better. Uh, it is a joy to be with you this morning. If uh, we've never met before, my name is Oné. I get uh, the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Rooted Fellowship, and, and it is a joy. It really, really is a joy. God has done some incredible things in the last two years, and, and we hope that he would continue to do uh, more incredible things, more than we could ever imagine or ask for. Uh, and so before we jump in, uh, let me just uh, make a quick uh, announcement. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, you would know that uh, some of my illustrations can be uh, slightly over the top. All right. If you, if this resonates with you, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, at any point in uh, our gathering this morning, you might see two swallows flying around. I just want to say that that is not an illustration. Um, don't sit there and be like, I wonder what's going to happen now. No, they, they just, we found them in here this morning. And, uh, and so just be mindful of that. If you're afraid of birds, I apologize in advance. And then I apologize for anything that could happen. Um, I'm, I'm just apologizing in advance. Um, we are currently in a series titled Made for Fellowship. Uh, this morning is part two, so we launched last week. And, uh, and so this morning we're going to continue in this series. And, uh, and basically we're, we're, we're making a statement. All right, we're making a statement. We're saying that we believe God has beautifully designed us for fellowship, that we are made for community. And so our hope in this three-part series is to convince you of that through the scriptures is to show you that, that God has wired us for community. And then the second thing is to, to hope that you would answer this question, are you made for this fellowship? Are you made for this fellowship? If you believe that God has made you for community, then the next question you should ask is, well, am I made for this one? And you might not. You might not. You might feel like mm, the, the vision isn't exactly where I land or, or maybe the, the people in here, I don't really connect with them. Well, that's okay, uh, but we would want to make sure that you get plugged into a community somewhere because of the first point, that we are made for community. We were never created to live in isolation. And so uh, over the series, we're going to be incredibly aggressive to try to get you plugged into community. That if you do call this place home, we want to make sure that you're plugged in. in. In the various spaces that we have here at Rooted Fellowship, we want to make sure that you feel that you are a part of this family. And so um, I just want to point it out, if, if you want to connect uh, I would ask that you fill this out. It's at the back in the corner. It's a connect form. Um, but on here, there's a number of other questions. If you want to know more about Rooted Fellowship, maybe you're going, uh, I'm interested, but I want to know a little bit more about what you guys believe. You can tick that on the box here. If you want to know more about Jesus, right? We talk about Jesus a lot. And so if you want to know more about Jesus, you can fill that out here and someone will contact you and uh, sit you down and just kind of unpack uh, who Jesus is and, and what he means to us. And then if you want to connect in one of our groups, fill this out as well, because we want to get you connected. We want you to feel that you are a part of this family because we believe we are made for fellowship. Now this morning, we're going to be uh, looking in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, if you were with us last year, uh, you might be sitting going, oh no, uh, we spent the bulk of last year in the book of 1 Corinthians. I thought we were done with it. But, but the beautiful thing about God's word is that you can keep coming back to it over and over and over again and find new gems that you didn't see before. That, that's the beauty of God's word is that it, it just never gets old. 
When you keep coming back to it, you go deeper and deeper and then you're just blown away by what God is doing. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read it to us like I do. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible or electronic device uh, with the Bible on it. You can follow on the screen. I'll read it and then I'll pray. I'll pray for us. I ask that you pray with me. That we're asking God to do something so powerful that we would look to Him and acknowledge Him as King and Savior. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 17. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth, uh, addressing the issue of the Lord's table, communion. Hear these words of our Father. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give directions When I come, let's pray. Father, we are incredibly thankful for your word. We're thankful that it continues to work in the individual lives of people. And so I ask that you would do the work that only you can do this morning. Would you meet us where we are? Father, as we look at these verses, as as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, talking about the Lord's table, Lord, I ask for those maybe who have read this passage before, that you would give us uh, eyes that would see deeper, hearts that would long for more. Lord, I pray for those who have maybe never seen this passage before, let alone read the scriptures. I ask that you would meet them where they are, that you would soften hearts and prepare them. Holy Spirit, would you lead and give counsel and wisdom? Lord, I pray against the evil one and his desires to steal, kill, and destroy. 
I ask that you would come and give life and life to the full. And so, Lord, it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, you are our King, you are our Redeemer. Would you have your way in this place this morning? In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Now, it's important for me to give a little bit of context before we jump in. All right, so Paul uh, planted this church in Corinth, right? The church is growing, things are happening, it's incredible. And so he moves somewhere else to plant another church somewhere else. And after some time, he gets a letter from some of the leaders saying, Hey, Paul, uh, this church that you planted, it was good in the beginning, but things are getting crazy now. And here's some of the issues. And so if you were to read the book of 1 Corinthians, you would see that Paul is tackling the issues that these leaders had addressed in their letter to him. He addresses issues like sexuality. He addresses issues like division within the community. And so in the letter, the leaders had made known to Paul that there were some issues around the Lord's table, around communion. And so he writes addressing this. But but. Again, to, to take us a little bit deeper, let me give some uh, historical context because how they practiced communion is different to how we practice communion today. I'm not saying that the way we do it is bad. Maybe by the time we get uh, to the end of our passage, you might think differently. I, I don't think it's bad. I'm just saying it's different. In fact, it's radically different. See, back then, how they practiced communion is that they would gather once a week And each person who was a part of the community, a a part of the church, would bring something to eat. They would all come together to eat together, but each person would bring something to eat. Now, obviously, uh, those who had much would bring a lot, and and then those who had nothing would bring nothing. And, And that was okay, Well, at least in the beginning. But anyway, they would gather together, and then they would have communion together, and then they would feast together. In fact, back then, it was uh, known as the love feast. The love feast. It's the, the people of God coming together to celebrate together, to eat together, to fellowship together, and then have communion. In fact, some uh, theologians believe that in the beginning, what, what maybe happened was they would come together, have communion, and then eat But then after some time, because we see Paul even addresses it, he says, some of you come hungry. You show up here hungry, and so instead of of going, this is what communion is for, you're eating it, hoping to fill your bellies. And so some theologians say they might have switched it then. Some of the churches might have switched it and said, okay, let's do this. Let's, Let's eat first, satisfy our bellies first, and then have communion. And I love that. I love that because here's what it does. Here's what it does. If I show up and we are feasting together and and I I have an issue with you and and I don't want to sit with you. We don't, we don't have any issues. Just, it's an illustration. It's an illustration. And I don't want to sit with him. I'll go somewhere else. I'll, I'll find myself on the other end of the table and fellowship over there because I, I have issues with him and I just don't want to deal with it. But then come the Lord's table, come communion, the text says that we are to examine ourselves. 
And so I, I, if I examine myself and I'm honest with myself, I shouldn't partake in communion because I have an issue with a brother. And so communion would do that. It would highlight that. It would go, hold on, you don't partake. If there's issues in your life, if there's sin in your life, go deal with that. In fact, Scripture tells us to do so. Go deal with that before you come back and partake in communion. And so this love feast was intended to point us to that. It was intended to point us to that. It was a celebration. It wasn't this thing that we do now where communion is just about you. Right? In, in your little private space. Again, I'm not saying it's bad, but when I, I look at how it was practiced, wow, guys, I feel like we're missing out on so much. We're missing out on so much because today it's, it's about you and are you comfortable? Here's your shot glass and, 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 and here's your little piece of bread and you go, go do your own thing in the corner. You, you're on your own. Where, if we look at the scriptures, it was no, it was the coming together. The coming together of God's people. In celebration. So why the change? I'm glad you ask. In 397 AD, the Council of Carthage was a, a council that got together and they were uh, making up some, some rules, some good ones, some bad ones. Um, but they were like, hey, listen, this is how we need to structure the Christian faith. To put some order to this growing movement, we, we need to put some, some things in place to make sure that things are orderly. Now again, that's good. But in there, they stopped the love feast. They stopped the love feast and for, for two reasons. One is that it was becoming crazy like we see here in 1 Corinthians. Paul is having to address it. He's like, some of you show up and you, you party so much, you get drunk. You get drunk. It, it has nothing to do with God anymore. It's about satisfying you. And so the council was like, man, the church is growing. It's getting crazy. It's harder to control people. Who's coming in? Who's going out? And so they said, listen, we just won't do love feasts anymore. Which is sad because, I mean, that's like throwing the baby out with the water. And the church does that a lot, right? Our dance moves have changed over the years. Giving you a moment to think about which ones I'm talking about. And so what churches have done historically is to go, ooh, that's... That kind of, that kind of move, there's no room for the Holy Spirit. And so, we'll just chuck out dancing altogether. Instead of addressing the issue, we just kind of throw everything out. It was the same with the love feast. The, the second reason that the council decided not to do it this way anymore is that the church was growing. And so, it, it just gets tricky. I mean, think about it for a moment. If we decided to do something like that and Maybe we should. But um, if we decided to do something like that in here, it, it'd be crazy, right? You come in, bring a meal. Where do we put tables? Uh, how do we structure it? How are we going to sing and do it? Good questions. Questions we should ask and answer. But the council just felt like it'd be easier if we just point one person to do the whole thing, give people instructions, get them to go pick up their wine and their juice and their bread, have their moment, come back, sing one song, and then go home. It's just, it's just easier. And so I just want to give some context to, to why Paul is writing this and to, to what context, what community he's writing it to when he addresses this. In fact, Paul is talking about idolatry. If you read the chapters before that, you can see he's addressing the issue of idolatry and he's saying, guys, you can see idolatry playing itself out in the Lord's table, in the way we participate in communion. 
Because it's all about you. When you come and you get drunk, it's just about you. It's about satisfying you. It's, it's about idolatry. And so he addresses this issue. So something is wrong here. The Lord's table was never meant to be idolized in the way that you're doing it. You've missed the point completely. He talks about how, how the poor are being victimized because they have nothing to bring. And so we, we put them in a corner and, and tell them to be quiet while those who have means, those who have resources gather together and celebrate. Wasn't just an issue back then. I think it's an issue still today. And, and so Paul says this is idolatry. The Lord's table was never intended for that. Never intended for that. In fact, Paul goes as far as to say, I cannot condone this. I cannot condone this. Paul then says, let me explain the purpose of the Lord's table. Let me remind you because you have forgotten. And friends, we do this with everything. We do this with everything, every instruction that God gives us, every gift that he gives us, because communion is a gift. What we do is we take the gift and we run with it, doing our own things, showing that we've forgotten the purpose of the gift and forgotten the giver of the gift. And so Paul says, I... I I need to explain it again. I need to make it plain again. And so what is the purpose of the Lord's table? Let me give you a straight answer. Plain and simple. What is the purpose of the Lord's table? It's to point those who don't know Jesus to Jesus and then to remind those who have crossed the line of faith that they are still in desperate need of Jesus. I'll say it again. What is the point of the Lord's table? Clear and simple. It's to point those who don't know Jesus to Jesus and then to remind those who have crossed the line of faith that they are still in desperate need of Jesus. But if we were to comb over this passage again and again, we would find that it also says something about community. If we were to allow ourselves to go a little bit deeper, we would see that it, it, it has something important to say about community. And so here's how I'm going to give it to us this morning. Three words, and they all start with B. I'm putting on my Baptist hat today. The Lord's table screams, bless, break, and behold. The Lord's table should inform us, should, should tell us as a community, bless, break, and behold. Let me unpack it. Bless. Jesus says, or Paul writes about Jesus, he says, when he had given thanks. When he had given thanks. You see, we are familiar with God's blessings upon us and upon our lives. But what does it mean for us to bless God? What does it mean to bless the Lord? Some of your Bibles might say it that way. You see, the phrases bless the Lord and bless God are found primarily in the Old Testament. The Psalms especially are filled with the psalmist's blessing upon God. The King James Version, a very old translation of the Bible, but still a very good one, uses bless the Lord many times. 
Many times. But the more modern translations translate it to praise the Lord. See, the Hebrew word translated bless or praise means literally to kneel the, the implication, right? Communicating the implication of worship. It's to kneel, to worship, to adore, to recognize, to give thanks, to bless the Lord. Therefore, to bless the Lord means to praise Him, to exalt Him, to worship Him. The Psalms are filled with blessings upon God for His counsel, His holiness, His dominion over all things, His honor and His majesty. It goes on and on and on. There is so much to be thankful for. And, and, and all the writers of the Bible make it clear to us that we are to bless the Lord. See, we offer Him our praise and blessings because He deserves it. Unlike God's blessings upon us, which are wholly undeserved and by His mercy and grace, our blessing God is done out of an understanding that He is the true praiseworthy creator and sustainer of all things. Friends, when you get to that point, when you realize that God is seated on His throne, that He is fully in control, that He has created all things and He sustains them, that the fact that your heart beats this very minute is because God sustains it. When you get to that point, that's when you understand what it means to bless God, to give Him praise, to adore Him, to recognize Him, to give Him thanks. See, God is glorified when we bless and praise and acknowledge Him. That acknowledgement comes in the form of praise and adoration, thanksgiving and love. And that is what we were originally created for. That is what we were originally created for. It wasn't because uh, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit were sitting there going, man, we're so lonely. It'd be really cool if we created these humans. I mean, they'd mess up everything, but man, it'd still be fun to watch. That's not what happened. God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit were, were sitting together in this incredible community, this beautiful fellowship, enjoying one another. And so, out of an overflow of that, we were created so that we might participate. There was so much joy in God that he's like, man, it would be great just to, to create human beings so that they might enjoy this. We were created to enjoy God and enjoy him forever. And so we give praise and we give thanks. And so when we think about being made for fellowship, when we look at the Lord's table, it communicates bless, but bless Him. Bless God. And we need to remind one another of that because in difficult times, let, let me speak about myself, in difficult times, God is the furthest person I want to bless. He's the last person that I want to acknowledge. Unless I'm pointing fingers at Him or my fist is in the air towards Him. And so I need you. I need you. 
when I'm tired, when I'm exhausted, when I'm overwhelmed. I need you. I need you to come by my side and to remind me that no God is, is good and He does love you and, and, and to point me back to Him. And the best way to do that is to bless Him in the midst of our difficulties. And so when we partake in communion, I'm sure many of you are going through tough times. Difficult times, challenging times. You're probably sitting there and you're just like, I just don't want to stand up. But then to watch others around you get up and go, knowing that, man, they're going, they're going, but they're going through so much and yet they're, they're going to go and, and so-and-so is going through so much and, and, and she's going to go. It's, we're reminding one another to bless him. We're made for fellowship, but we're made to bless him. Community reminds us to bless God. That we have so much to be thankful for regardless of what we're going through. And so that's the first one, bless. When we partake in communion, we must think bless. But the second thing that we must think is break. Break. Notice Paul writes, he broke it and said, this is my body, talking about the bread, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant and my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, to try to stick to my Baptist ways, um, I couldn't find another uh, word that starts with B to talk about uh, the pouring of the wine. All right? And so this is what I did. Super creative. He breaks open the bottle and pours out the wine. I felt like it still, it works, right? So he breaks the bread and then he breaks open the bottle to pour out the wine. Now, what does this communicate? In community, what does this communicate? It, it, it tells us something about confession. It tells us something about confession. David Bailey says this. He says, a, a Christian community cannot be a reconciling community if it is not a confessing community. That's good. I'll, I'll, I'll read it again. A Christian community cannot be a reconciling community if it is not a confessing community. Now, the danger is to only read that and understand it in the context of racial reconciliation. I'm not saying that it doesn't count there. It does. But but I want us to think a, a little bit broader. How do we enter into fellowship with God? By confessing. By confessing that we are in desperate need of Him. That reconciles us Through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it reconciles us back to the Father. And so God goes, well, I'm going to wire it the same way. How do we enter into deep, meaningful relationships with one another? We confess to one another. We confess to one another. We are broken before one another. We pour ourselves out with one another and to one another. See, the table is a place where broken sinners find connection and belonging. First with God and then with one another. It reminds us that I can show up to community and go, hey guys, I'm messed up. 
I want to be honest about where I am. It's, it's what we do every time we partake in communion. Uh, I'll stand up here or whoever's leading it will stand up here and go, hey, before you partake, I just want you to reflect for a moment. Don't treat this like you treat everything else in life, just rushing into it at 180 kilometers. No, no, no. When we partake in communion, we go, pause for a moment and ask yourself this question. Where are you in light of your relationship with God? And then maybe something that we need to add to it is, are there any relationships that you're aware of here in this community or outside where there's massive issues there? And some confession is needed. Whether it's with my spouse. Maybe we had an argument on the way to church and uh, before I partake, maybe I need to go speak to her and just confess. Is it my children? My friends? My family? We confess to God and so a lot of us will go, but I've confessed and I'm done, I'm cool, it should be fine. That's true, God has forgiven you. But because we are made for fellowship, confession is required here as well. James 1 tells us that. The table is a place where broken sinners find connection and belonging. See, we desperately need people who will journey with us in our stumbling as we journey with Jesus. I'm telling you right now that For those who have crossed the line of faith, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know this to be true. If you've just come to faith recently, let me prepare you. There's going to be some stumbling. Those sins, many of which we spoke about last week, those those sins that you thought, listen, I, I have thrown them out, somehow make their way back into the deep corners of your heart. And so you'll find yourself stumbling. Where you thought you had dealt with something, all of a sudden it's like, why is it, why is it back in my life? And so you will stumble. And so the Lord's table reminds us that we are placed into a community with other stumbling people so that we can confess when we do stumble and go, hey man, I I messed up. Instead of keeping it hidden and and secret and in the dark where it will only grow, it provides you an opportunity to bring it into the light. So people can come alongside you and, and pray with you and fight along with you to be broken before one another. To pour ourselves out in the context of community with one another. Guys, I can't stress how important this is, especially in a context like ours where, where the world is telling us that, no, we don't want to hear your problems. You need to be perfect when you show up here. Whether it's your workplace, whether it's where you train, where uh, your gym, wherever it is, whatever book club you're a part of, I don't know. Like It tells us that, no, if you show up here, you need to be perfect. And so we do the same thing with church. We do the same thing with our communities of faith. And, and then we think like, People will be mind readers. Like people should just look at me and be like, yeah, you're going through depression. Oh, there's an addiction in in your life. Now, I know some of us have that supernatural gift and that's incredible. And if you have it, please utilize it. We desperately need it. But not all of us have it. I don't have it. And so it's crazy for me when six months down the line, I'm sitting and having a conversation and I'm like, I didn't know that you were going through all of that. Yeah, it started like a year ago. What? 
Now, I'll own some of it, and maybe we didn't create a safe environment where you were like, you know, I, I feel like I can be broken and, and, and pour myself out in this context. I'll take ownership for that. But because this is a community, you need to also take some ownership and go, hey, guys, I want to stop hiding. I, I, I want to stop hiding. Rooted fellowship is a place, it's a safe place for imperfect people. That's you and me. Imperfect people to gather together so that we can point one another to a perfect Savior. Are we willing to be broken? Are we willing to pour ourselves out before one another? This has to become a spiritual discipline. It has to. It has to form part of our discipleship. And we're going to try to come up with various things to make sure that we uh, we have those environments. Not only Sunday gatherings, and it's super hard to do it here. I say it every Sunday. This is one-way communication. I, I long for more, but this is one-way communication. And so we create city groups, and we create discipleship groups, and we create accountability groups, and we're saying, guys, get plugged in. Get plugged in. If you live in isolation, it will only lead to a life of misery. And in some cases, death. Whether it's spiritual or physical. And we will be here going, oh my good, I had no idea. The Lord's table screams at us to be broken before one another. God already knows you messed up, guys. We can go to Genesis to see Adam and Eve. God already knows you messed up. I know you're messed up. So I meet with some of you regularly. You're sitting next to someone who's messed up. And so just go, hey, I I just want to be honest about where I am. Here's my confession. That sin that I told you six months ago that I put to bed, when you went looking, I went back into the rubbish bin, picked it up, and I'm still addicted to whatever it is. We're to bless God. We're to praise Him. And in that praise, we're to gather together and to go, hey, we're broken. We're needy. We're imperfect. Here's where I am. And so we bless, we break, but here's the last one. The Lord's table it tells us that we are called to behold. We are, we are to behold. Verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We behold. There's a saying. There's a saying that goes, What you behold, you become. What you behold, what you, what you hold dear to you, you become. You want to know what people are beholding? You want to know what the person next to you is beholding? You usually don't have to ask. Let, let me uh, illustrate it this way. How do you know someone does CrossFit? They'll tell you. And those with, with the, the loudest voice are the ones beholding it dearly to themselves. We could do this 
with anything. How do you know someone's a vegan? How do you know someone believes that education is important? How do you know someone just won't stop thinking about success and the pursuit of it? How do you know that someone treasures money? What we behold, we become. But I I have a really cool illustration to show you. I think it captures it so, so, so beautiful. It's a scene from Lord of the Rings. Alright, Lord of the Rings. This is where uh, Smeagol uh, transforms into Golem. Now, this movie is PG-13. Alright, and the scene is pretty gruesome. Uh, we did some editing, alright, so we took out some pretty intense scenes. Um, but I'm just prepping you uh, for those with young ones in the room. If you want to uh, transition out for this time, or if you're one of those, it's just like, I, I don't want to see that. You can, you can close your eyes and, and still hear um, what's happening. Uh, but it captures it so, so beautifully. And uh, I'm a, I'm sort of a fan of the Lord of the Rings. Like, I, I'm not the guy that's going to line up and go watch it when they, when they come out. Like, that's not me, but I'll eventually get to it. And so even in prepping for this morning, I had to do a lot of research on, uh, on Lord of the Rings because I, I realized I didn't know that much. You know, why is the ring evil and, 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 and what's going on and, and what's this whole thing about? And, and uh, you'll see, I think they'll show it in the clip, um, that there's, uh, some engraving on the ring, right? So the ring's evil. I'll tell you that now. Ring's evil. Uh, and there's some engraving on it. And here's what it says. Right? You won't be able to read it because it's in a pretty cool language. I don't know what it is. Uh, any Lord of the Ring fans know what language? There we go. Did you guys do sport? It's, no, I'm joking. Um, so, so here's what it says. It, it, it says, one ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all, and in the darkness, bind them. So if you were ever thinking, oh, is that ring for good? No, it's not. <laughs> all right? All right? And, and as you watch this, uh, watch the transformation of not just the individual, but, but, but everything around. And think about this. As what we behold, we become. And pretty dark, but, but, but paints such a, a powerful picture of what we behold, we become. Um, there's some whispering in there, and I think it's intended to do that, to, to kind of get you to lean in and try to figure out what he's saying. But in there, he, he goes, we've forgotten the taste of bread, the, the smell of trees. That is, these things that we were intended to enjoy, we, we no longer find fulfillment in. And he, he has identified himself so much with the ring that he speaks in the plural, that he, he says us. This is us. What you behold, you become. And so because the ring was evil, Smeagol became evil. He became Golem. Well, what's the point here? It's, well, what we behold, we will become. And if it's not God, then we should be fearful. For many of us, we're holding on to success. We're holding on to relationships. Holding on to food and and sleep and and comfort. All these things are good and and they've been given to us as a gift from God. But, But we're supposed to be holding on to Christ, the giver of these gifts. And scripture says over and over and over again, we hold on to him so that we might become more and more like him. More and more like him. 
what is precious to you, what is worthy to you, is the thing that you will proclaim the most about. What is precious to you and what is worthy to you is the thing that you will proclaim the most about. And so communion reminds us that we are to behold Christ and Him alone. It's Christ and Him alone. A lot of gifts that He gives us, but our eyes should be on the giver of the gifts. We behold God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when we think of beholding God, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 to 18 should come to mind. That passage is talking about how the veil has been removed from us so that we might see God with our hearts and mind. We might see Him for who He is. So beholding is allowing the eyes of our heart, this is Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, to be enlightened and focused on Jesus. To be enlightened and focused on Jesus and what He has done. He's finished work on the cross. To behold is to pursue a life of obedience to the Holy Spirit. That's what it means for us as Christians, for those who have crossed the line of faith, to behold Christ so that we might become Him in the context of community. Beholding God happens when we learn more about Jesus when we sing theologically informed songs about Jesus, when we pray to Jesus, claiming the promises that he has given us, and when we fellowship together, reminding one another of the beauty of the gospel. Let me say that again. And, 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 when we fellowship together, and reminding one another of the beauty of the gospel. We behold together, not on our own. We behold together. We are made for fellowship to remind one another that we are to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. And so think about the next time we gather together and partake in communion. We bless, we break, and we behold. I'm going to read it again, and and I'm going to hope that you are reading it with different eyes, with eyes that are looking slightly deeper. And so from verse 23, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This bless, break, and behold is all an act of grace from the Father. Grace that is experienced both personally and corporately. And corporately. The grace of God needs to permeate our relationships, to put us around those who are unlike us, Christians need to dismantle this systemic disunity or or the traumatic isolation that exists in our culture. And yet sadly has made its way into the church. See, when we realize that Christ was torn and broken and poured out for us, we begin to pursue true, genuine restoration. And we do that in the context of community. 
Let me close by saying this. See, when the Old Testament prophets wanted to speak about the day when Jesus would come and, and rule and reign and restore all things, when the Old Testament wanted to inform us of this, they would tell us about a great feast. They would tell us about a great feast. In fact, the great poet, prophet Isaiah spoke of a coming day when God will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine. What here at Rooted we call cold, refreshing beverages of the fermented nature. But the best kind. The best of meats and the the finest of wines. This is in Isaiah chapter 25 verse 6. In that day, when all that is wrong is made right, and all that is broken is made whole, there's going to be one extravagant meal. One extravagant, beautiful, glorious meal. And so communion, the Lord's table, the love feast, maybe we should call it that. All of this points to this day, this day that we long for. And it doesn't just point individuals, it points a community. It points a community to this day where God would make all things new again. It, it points a family who believes that they have been made for fellowship. It points us to the one who is seated on the throne. And so again, I ask the question, do you believe that you are made for fellowship? Do you believe that you are made for this fellowship? And if so, would you, with us, bless, break, and behold as we await the return of our Lord and Savior? Let's pray. And so God, we, we come as a, as a family. As I look out, There are those who have been with us since the very beginning. There are those who have joined us along the way. And then there are those who maybe today is their first time. God, I'm asking that you would meet all of us where we are. And that we would see for ourselves through the scriptures that we are made for fellowship. That we are made for community. And that there's so much in the scriptures that points to that and ultimately points to you. And so God, we come now, maybe for some, they just need to bless you, to bless the name of the Lord, to look at whatever situation they're going through in their lives and to go, I need to be thankful in the midst of it, whether it's tough or challenging. I need to recognize that God loves me more than I could ever imagine. Maybe for some, they they need to know that it's okay to be broken. And so maybe they just need a season of confession. Maybe after the service, it's, it's going to someone that we trust and just saying, hey, I just want to be honest about where I am. I know I come to gatherings like this I I know when we show up for coffee I put a smile on my face and 
and make you believe that everything is okay when in reality I'm spiraling down and it's just getting darker and darker and darker. And so I just want to confess and bring my struggles and my sin to the light. I'm asking that you would help me, that you would pray for me, that you would walk alongside me. And then maybe for the rest of us, it's, we just need to behold, we need to ask ourselves first, what is it that we are holding in our hands, cherishing and believing that it will give us life and life to the full? What is that thing that we are becoming? And then to be honest enough to go, is it really transforming me into the person that I truly want to be? So maybe through our confession, it's realizing that we need to let go of whatever it is that we're holding on to and then to say, Jesus, I want to hold on to you. Lord, I'm aware that there might be some in here who that step might be the beginning of an incredible relationship. And so Lord, would you soften hearts? Would you make this place a safe space for people to do so? And for those who have crossed the line of faith, for those who have journeyed with you for a while, Lord Jesus, I pray that it would be a time again to go, God, I want to behold you so that I might become more and more like you. Either way, God, we are a community made for fellowship. And so let that be our confession this morning. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.